folks. Welcome to a podcast about Catholic things. This is Eric, the Ambassador of Common Sense, and I'm here with... Dan, I'm the Ambassador of Nonsense. Welcome, everyone. And uh, let's see, today we're going to talk about work and work? the dignity of work and what it does for man and how it's a a way for man to glorify God. Yep, makes sense, makes sense. And to clarify, we're not talking about work in the 9 to 5 uh, systematic industrialized sense of you get up, you go to work, you have a job, and that kind of thing. Although that very much can play into it, what we're really talking about is labor, the fruit of your hands, the fruit of the application of your mind and your physical uh, talents to producing things that didn't exist before or just maintaining things that do exist even if it's maintaining, say, a garden. Well, I was thinking more along the lines of 9 to 5 work. Oh, okay. That, when I, that's the uh, direction I was going to head in anyway when I, um, when I was thinking about doing this. And this stems from a talk given by Fulton Sheen about work. Oh, And the, uh-huh. the changing workplace as, as the world industrialized. And how our work just dramatically changed. In the sense of becoming disconnected with maybe the product or with its place in our society around us and, and our neighbors. In the way it was like uh, disconnected from man's ability to create. Ah, okay, okay. But I, I, you know, I mean, I think this, I, I guess it doesn't have to be that, though. It can all, uh, I mean. Well, I think we need to get there because most people have that nine to five job and a lot of people with that nine to five job feel a disconnect. Yeah. I think it's important for them to, to understand the reality of their ability to glorify God within that nine to five job. Yeah. And then I guess, and this is where what you were talking about would come into play because that job is not the only work that you will or should do. Oh yeah. Yeah, certainly. Certainly. But why does work have any dignity at all for man? And that's why I brought up the, the, the thing about gardening is because the first assignment of work was a command of God within the context of the garden of Eden. and And this was before the fall. Absolutely. So man was made, among other things, to work. Yeah. You know, before we get into this, we've done, I think, 25 podcasts now. We have never actually introduced ourselves and talked about what we do outside of these podcasts. No, we've talked about the fact that we're brothers and that we're Catholic. That's about it. Yeah. One of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is because there's a lot of other podcasts and radio shows out there, and they're done by people who whose business it is to be Catholic and comment on Catholic things. Mm, right, right. Those and I wanted they... to do one. Uh, we we don't have any connection that way. We're not employed by the church or by any kind of ministry. We're right. just two guys living our lives, and we happen to be Catholic, and we want to talk about these things in light of that uh, that mindset. Yeah, yeah. So many of the people that you hear on a Catholic radio station or or whatever, they were called, and and I, you know, I I think that they really are called because many of them are very good. 
Right. But they were called to give up the kind of jobs that we now have in favor of full-time ministry, full-time speaking ministry or media ministry or whatever it is. But we haven't, to our knowledge, been called there yet. there's, (laughs) There's kind of a disconnect, I feel like, sometimes, you know? Between their Catholic world, their, the world they're talking about, and, you know, on the front line, uh, living your life and, and doing the things you have to do in a normal week. Right, right. So that was the reason, uh, that was one of the things about this podcast that it was supposed to be. And, uh, again, 25 podcasts, and I don't think anyone has any idea what we do for That's a living. That's a good point. And we haven't even talked about our education and things like that. Yeah, yeah. That's so. This is the, <laughs> among the we'll, we'll call it working class. This podcast is kind of by us for us kind of thing. You could think of it that way, right? Um, am, am I am I uh, appropriating a uh, a, uh, a another cultural uh, concept there? In that in that some kind of brand? That is a brand. It's a. Uh... You know, it's it's a black thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? I'm all for people who can make brands out of stuff. And yeah. To sell stuff, so. So what do you do? I'm an engineer. And ironically, um, talking in this podcast about the 9 to 5 work and often its disconnect from our sense of the creative and uh, participation in the glory of God, well. Uh, you don't have that. I don't have that. As an engineer, specifically as a software engineer, even though my day can sometimes be a little bit tedious because I have to review plans, I have to write up things that are kind of rote. You know, I've done it a hundred times before and I'm writing the same thing, except I'm just replacing this word with that word or going through estimates of how long it should take this person to do this and this person to do this and so forth. But when it comes to the work and the product that I'm driving and much of the work that I personally do, I'm in very much a full creative mode, even if that creativity is figuring out how to construct something more so than creatively designing what to construct. It's still a very creative uh, kind of a kind of a job. So, yeah, I I, um, what about your education? I'm not going to be able to to, uh, I guess, empathize a lot with the people that don't have that education. I went to a uh, all male college and got a degree in electrical engineering. The college isn't all male anymore. The the year that I graduated was the year that the board of directors for the college, I think that's the right name for them, voted to allow women in as undergraduates. They already already had women walking around campus because they had girls as graduate students doing research and that kind of stuff, but they didn't have any female undergrads. Well, that's yeah. not the case anymore. It, it's And it's Rose Hallman for anybody who's wondering. And uh, I graduated there in 93. It was supposed to be 92, but I did a little bit of co-op kind of thing that I worked out with the director of the department and graduated a year later and took my electrical engineering degree and went on to become a software engineer and haven't professionally done a single bit of electrical engineering. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, graduated cum laude? Yes. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm. You know, I, I have a good job, too, in, in terms of creativity and uh, seeing the fruits of my labor right away. I, I'm a technician. Uh, 
I work on anything from office equipment like copiers and printers to uh, more production equipment uh, like big printers and um, sometimes doing installations, having to make all these different machines talk to each other and communicate and stuff like that. Um, I see this is going to come as a little bit of a surprise. Uh, the last year that I completed in school was eighth grade. I dropped out of ninth grade, um, did a little bit of college, but after I got my GED, but I really didn't do much cause I hate school, but, uh, <laughs> that's, that's as far as my education takes me. Anything else I have, I just picked up books and read or yeah. Yeah. Which is easy nowadays because it's so easy to learn anything Between you want YouTube to learn. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wikipedia and not but that anybody I, should plan their life on that because right, part of the it, value of, of the school system is distilling everything that's out there into a sufficient enough survey to, to get the, the right breadth and allow the right depth within certain chosen topics. But it's and not necessarily for everybody. Aside from that, um, not having even a high school diploma makes it very difficult to get a job. And a lot of times you have to take jobs that you normally wouldn't want. And I've done my time on the factory floor and on the warehouse floor. So I do understand that disconnect that we were talking about. And I can empathize with that. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask this. When you were on some of those jobs did you have any ongoing interaction with the people you were working with uh yeah usually okay was it a, you know was it in some sense a little bit fulfilling in a sense that allowed you to at least not dread going to work definitely okay i mean it, it, if it's not for the people around you and the be the ability to talk with them and tell stories about that idiot manager or that idiot <laughs> foreman and Things like that makes the job bearable. Without right. those things, I I really can't imagine living that way. I ask because my first job was a janitor-ish. Yeah. And we worked as a crew. It was only a few nights a week um, up at the Knights of Columbus Hall cleaning up. Oh, after, yeah. You know, bingo and weddings and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, as a crew, while we were working, we're also talking and that kind of stuff. And it, it's I can't imagine doing that long term without people to interact with that's it's it's the people you interact with i think that make more the job than the work itself right definitely okay so one of the reason i brought this subject up is there was a time in history whenever whatever you did for a living um there was kind of a fulfillment out of it because you're it was something you, that was almost again. your identity if it you, was your identity, and you not only shoes, that, you were a cobbler, for example. It's, it's part of your um, interaction with God in that God designed us after himself, and part of that is creativity. He did not right. give creativity to uh, animals or even the angel. He only gave it to us. That's right. And it's, angels it's part of our design to to create and to marvel at it, and to be proud of it. Yep. And it was from the very start. But even after the fall, that still exists. It's part of our nature. We didn't lose that. Right, right. We lost grace, and even some parts of our nature became distorted. But 
we didn't lose that image of God in which he made us, which includes his act of creation. It's kind of an amazing thing. And, you know, when we we have these sci-fi films where uh, we create these computers which will be like us and try to create themselves with with you know all the ai movies and mm, right. suddenly rebel against us and we assume that's what would happen if we created computers that were self-aware because that's what we did that's a good point that's that's i i never thought of that in terms of the sci-fi films like the matrix and the terminator is there a element in there that perhaps completely subconscious to the writers and the and the creators of these movies that they're expressing a fear that's based on our own tendency to rebel against our creator yeah i i think about that every now and then as i'm trying to uh because i write sci-fi sometimes and i would think well and it just occurred to me one day like 20 years ago and i've anytime i write sci-fi I have that in mind as I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. But the fact is, God gave us this creativity. And for most of history, whenever man worked, it was part of his work. Right. Now, right. there were certain, uh, there are certain jobs that really, like mining, um, and, and it's jobs we would say is more or less slave labor because it, doesn't seem to have that and a lot of times prisoners and slaves were the ones who did that kind of work mm -hmm. um, in the american experiment there was an idea that the miners could actually own part of the mine and i think it was a step in the right direction it's just uh things got kind of corrupt there and there was again crony capitalism and usury and things got bad but I think as the world industrialized, that act of creation was further and further removed from the daily work that man did. And so where, uh, you know, a guy goes in every day and, say, makes a pair of shoes, um, that's no longer the case. Instead, he goes to a factory and he presses a button and presses maybe a couple other buttons to make machines make shoes. Or he goes in and turns a a screw and screws something into place and he just keeps doing that along an assembly line every day all day which can be or, grueling or yeah but i mean think of even you know that's kind of like the low paid but it seems to me that a job that is even more removed from that act of creativity and creation which maybe while a little bit higher paid um is less valuable think about a office worker whose job is to maybe process insurance claims and all mm -hmm. he does is take one decide where it falls within the is it valid or not stamp it and move it on take one you know yeah and doing the data he entry what, he, he's not even producing any his company isn't even producing anything yeah. each time he does something there, there's not even a product a physical thing or a benefit to someone, I mean, you know, benefit, I guess, in the sense of insurance or whatever, but there's not necessarily something that he can connect with ever in the world to say, hey, I did that, or I was yeah. part of that, or whatever. The guy that presses the machine on, on the factory, the button on the machine on the factory floor, at least can point to a product or a row of products somewhere 
and say, I had something to do with making those. Right. As far removed as it is. Right. So I, I think throughout the levels of jobs, it's not just even the, the very low paying, what we would call unskilled or semi-skilled label. I think throughout the levels of jobs, there's this this extreme removal from the association of the work you do every day to a thing that's created or produced either in terms of a benefit to society or in terms of any actual thing that people directly use and interact with. Yeah, definitely. And one of the things this would bring up is something like ambition and the fact that I think there's an actual duty of men who are, say, supporting a family to seek jobs that would in some way avoid that. Jobs that would more or less reflect a talent that God gave them. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I I mean, the fact is when you, you have to work and you have to have an income and that's part of raising a family is being able to pay for uh, a home and food and stuff like that. Um, And there are certain people who might not ever be able to do anything more than press a button or uh, add figures and enter them into the computer. But, uh, and and maybe certain circumstances keep people from being able to move beyond that. But I think there is a, there is an obligation to at least look for means of, uh, means of making a living that would somehow glorify God in a way that shows the creative ability that he gave to you. That makes sense. I think the question is, and I have this argument a lot with uh, other men growing up. I, again, I don't, I don't even have a high school diploma. So if I find myself without work, you can imagine where I'd have to look. And so there's say a job opening that would be a union job and, um, it would pay more money than I would make at other other entry level jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's an expectation on the people around me to take that job because it's going to pay more than the same job at another company. Right. And it's more stable and it's more likely in two years that I'll still have that job. But it's monotonous and I cannot see myself doing that every day. If I mm-hmm. have to, I have to, but I can't yeah. see myself doing right. that every day. So if I can find something that's more fulfilling, that pays less, and is not as stable, I tend to go in that direction. Gravitate towards it. But still pays enough to see to it that your family's provided for. Right. Because that's more like a, a ground-level requirement in, right. you know, for parents to their families. Right. And then there's also things like uh, advancement and things like that that you have to actually look at. And, you know, you don't want to be 55 years old uh, still using your body the way you could when you were 20. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> you get worn out after a while. So that's a good point. The uh, We have an obligation to be somewhat ambitious within the context of the workforce to find ways that special talents that God gave us can be used effectively in this exchange with society that we call a job to get the right pay to be able to provide for our families and so forth, but it has to be about that about that use of what God gave us and not merely about 
the paycheck, especially not merely about the paycheck just right now. Because like you said, opportunities for advancement and growth into perhaps other jobs that may even better fulfill our special talents might be available in a, let's say, a startup company. Um, right. You, you join the startup. Or even your own company. Yeah, or you, you, you start your own company up. Okay, there's some risk. It might not make it, and then you might be looking for work again, and have you know you may end up having to take that union job at some point. But that might be the best what you can see right now, because you don't have a crystal ball. God doesn't tell everybody the future. You know, He lets us figure it out on our own. And so, based on what we know right now, hey, this is where I think I could really use what God gave me to benefit my family and to benefit the world, to benefit my neighbors, society around me, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, in doing so, I'm glorifying God. I'm giving expression to that creative impulse he put inside of me because he made me in his image. Right. And again, as you brought up, it's when you do work all day, there's a there's almost an overwhelming desire to at the end of it all, see something that you've produced or at least to know that you've fulfilled a need. Mm-hmm. And when you don't have that, I think there's a, a general obligation to seek it out because your work should fulfill you. It's yeah. not something you should wake up every morning and think, I don't want to go in. Yeah, if that's and, a and daily can... experience, there may be something wrong with the line of work you're in. Right. For you. It may be a mismatch for you. It doesn't mean nobody should do it. And it doesn't even mean you shouldn't be doing it right now. Yeah. 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 It, it may be what you have to do. For I mean, I I had started my own company uh, repairing printers. And uh, in order to make that work, I was going to have to work somewhere else as well. So I worked nights at uh, Amazon, one of their warehouses. Mm-hmm. And during the day, took whatever jobs fixing printers that I could get. Um, but I can tell you that every morning I would dread having to go to Amazon. Yeah. Since then I've quit Amazon cause I've been able to, I don't ever wake up and think, Oh, I don't want to go to work today. <laughs> there are jobs that I dread and it's like, man, this is yeah, going to be a Okay. Beast. I got to deal with that customer again. But I don't, I don't ever dread going to work. It, it's actually a joy to me. And if you can find a job that is an actual pleasure, well, yeah, I guess you've gotten lucky. But I think I think work is supposed to be that way yeah. for men. Yeah. You know, what about men whose sense of fulfillment in, in building things comes from the mere fact of building a business itself? And it almost doesn't matter what the what it is the business does, what it provides to society. They see a market need of some kind. It might be very mundane and doing the daily grind of it day to day might be tedious and in a direct sense unfulfilling. But the fact that they've built it into a business, maybe have three or four employees and it's stable and it's serving a need and it's got its place and it's got enough margin income that they're able to make sure that if if the market is changing, they can kind of shift with it. And that's their sense of creativity and accomplishment that they've built this business. It seems to me that's at least a legitimate fulfillment of that just as much as the work itself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, there's 
I know there's some in Cincinnati. I'll bet they're all over the place. Jobs to clean up dog do for people. It's oh. it's still a job. I never and heard of that. It's, uh, people want that stuff out of their yard, and this company will come in and remove all the traces of it. And mm-hmm. uh, I imagine the employees, they didn't grow up thinking, well, I'm going to have to do this. This stinks. But the people who start those businesses are usually, um, we're not talking about, you know, uh, college graduates here. Right. This is a guy right. who suddenly had the idea this guy would pay me to clean up dog do once a week. Why not? And yep. it, it might be somebody who started out doing some landscaping, maybe working right. for another company. And once in a while, a customer would say, well, would you mind picking up all the dog poop too? 50 and he bucks, got an lady. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if, uh, if you're unhappy in your an employ in your employment, um, I think you owe it to yourself, but also you owe it to your family and society to find a way, if possible, to make your work more fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's somewhat risky, not all risky, because you can't just quit your job and decide I'm going to go, uh, you know, start a X Y Z company and you know throw caution to the wind. You got to play it right. smart, but uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, kind of jumping into something that you don't know if it's going to turn out or not. Yeah, you take appropriate precautions. You figure out, okay, I think here's how much I know that I can make. I have enough maybe saved up that I can make the excess, or I've talked to my wife and we figured out how if it comes to an extreme emergency, we can tighten our belts for this long and still not be ready to kill each other at the end of every day mm-hmm. and in if it doesn't pan out within so much time well then i need to look for something else and get back to where i'm maybe making money in a more stable way while i think about what else i might be able to do that might be more fulfilling right but i think you're right i think there's that there's there's so many people who get into that that rut of well this is the only job i could get so i'm stuck here and right. i think as Christians, i think that's least, why people go postal <clears throat> Yeah, exactly. As Christians, we owe it to ourselves to be looking for that next thing and saying, okay, if this isn't really fulfilling me, what might? Now, there might be people who, and and I don't know every you know aspect about how this might work in a sense of psychology or whatever, there may be people who are simply not designed maybe for ambition, who if they can come home and at home they have a good wife and there's dinner and they can enjoy their evenings with their family, they're happy to go into that factory every day and sweep floors or whatever it is they do. As long as what they need at home is there and as long as their job allows them to keep that there. And it's um, not like there's uh, there's no nobility in that. Right, right. Absolutely. That's that's the, the point. There's There's everything that we do in some way contributes to the overall creation of societies and cultures and nations and civilizations and so forth, even the factory floor sweeper. Mm-hmm. And so if if somebody's happy doing that, if somebody doesn't feel unfulfilled, if they don't dread going in, if their real happiness comes from their home evening life and, and the job is just a job and, and they they don't feel like, oh, this really stinks, then that may very well be 
where they should be. That's that's. I think it's not necessarily a given that every person is called to that ambition to seek some kind of directly creative job. Right. And that's that's the other side of it is that we have to see that everybody's contribution has nobility to it. It's kind of it's kind of like the writings of Saint Paul who talked about the church with the multiple parts in the body and some parts are called to different types of activity than other parts, but all the activities that all the parts are called to are noble and are necessary to the body. Right. And so we shouldn't we shouldn't be you know, nobody should hear us saying that, oh, if you don't have some kind of creative job, you're not fulfilling God's plan for you or you're not doing it right or whatever. Right. I think I think the the bigger point is that if your job is something that you're just dreading going in every day, maybe you need to think about that in a broader context of does this really fulfill the talents that God gave me in terms of making them a gift to the society I'm in, whether that society, whether you think of that as a local society in your hometown and your you know your neighbors or just broader society because you might work for a multinational company and you've got 20,000 employees and you're just one among them and you have some contribution to make, that contribution has some role in the world society um, and that might be the kind of job that you should be in. So, Or you might be thinking, well, wait, th- this really isn't what I want. It's not at all what I enjoy doing. I, I'm always wishing that I was somewhere else. I'm waiting for that end of the clock, maybe I should start checking out the company's online job website for some kind of lateral move to a different kind of position or something yeah. like that. And of course, there's there's the fact that uh, after work, you're stepping into another role and yeah. that is a part of your creativity as well. So you go home and you have a relationship with your spouse and or your kids and you have a yard that you clean up and garden, and you have hobbies and things like that, and the job is what enables you to do these other things. So uh, you can you can put it in your head that this um, unlikable part of the day is something that helps you do all the other things that you do. Yeah. And there's every, nothing wrong with that either. Right. Every job is in service of something beyond the job itself. And I, I guess I guess that's ahead. one of the big differences because to some people, work is what enables them to do all the other things they want to do. In my own way of looking at life, work is one of the ends, not just a means. I've always yeah. looked at work like this is this is what I'm striving for, this job. Not mm-hmm. the things that are going to come from this job. And it shouldn't be that way, I guess, too much. I'm just saying that work is one of the ends that we strive for, generally. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not... Uh, it, it might fall in a hierarchy of ends that are maybe below family or something like that. But right. for many people, it can be an end. I think for some other people, and it might be even the majority of the population, that it's just the means to an end. Right. But whether it's the means to an end or the end in itself, it's important that it have its right place in the hierarchy of priorities. But if, if you're somebody who's who's got that sense that 
you're you just feel driven to do something that that your life doesn't give you any freedom to do any outlet for maybe creative energy or for some kind of talent that you know you could bring to the world well it, it might be that you can find the right job that allows you for that right and it's not like god only gave us each one talent yeah, that's you might true. find yourself a good writer you're not going to make a living at being a writer very few yeah. people can do that so you could do that on the side, and uh, you can probably use other talents you have, like me, say, fixing things. Um, I happen to be very good at it, and I go to work enjoying what I'm going to do, looking forward to figuring out problems I've never seen and things like that. I've had a lot of different jobs. Did, did I tell you I tried to get a job at Hanes Underwear? At where? Hanes Underwear. Oh, doing Hanes. what? As a model? Yeah. No, oh, I, okay. uh, I went in and, well, see, the audience, they don't know me, so they can't see that I weigh like five pounds. I'm it seems really like you skinny. Would be the ideal model. Right. I would have thought. So I went in and I told him what I wanted and she said, hold on. She went and got a manager. Manager comes back. I told him, well, I want to be a model for Hanes Underwear. And he handed me a pair of briefs and said, here, fill these out. <laughs> I didn't get the job. <laughs> Did you get the joke? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I did get the joke. I slunk away. No, I can't do that. <laughs> I guess there are other things like um, you have to know what you're capable of doing. And I know that, see, I've never not had my own business going. When I was 10 years old, remember dad started that worm farm? Yep. He took all the. It was a compost pile. Yep, in the backyard. Yeah, I was ten years old. One at that, he just threw everything in it. Yeah, he he was really bad at it. He had he put meat in there and all kinds of junk. (laughs) I did not know at the time you can't put meat in a compost compost pile. That's terrible. But he would pile things back there, and there were a lot of worms in there. There were just red worms. Mm -hmm. I was ten at the time, and I. He, he he also worked on office equipment, so he had these mimeograph machines that you could uh, you could print things. And so right away, after like I guess six months, we had pretty many worms there. So I printed out these flyers that said "Worms for Sale." I put them on everybody's door. We're in the middle of the city. I don't you know, but I guess people would go fishing. They would want worms, right? Yeah. I mean, that was my first business. That was even before I could mow lawns. Oh, I no can, kidding. Every I time I that. learn how to do something, I start a business. Make a business I've, of it. <laughs> yeah, I've been that way my whole life. That's right. And I had, That's right. Like the forge? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that. We were, what, 12? No, I mean the most recent one. Oh, yeah. You know what? Yeah, Tom I did Hawks. get a forge. And I... I made some tomahawks and I realized, yeah, I could do this. I could probably sell them. And then I realized that um, even if I'm doing it for myself, doing this for eight hours a day or 10 or 12 hours a day, um, I I would not want to do that. <laughs> not not the right outlet to your uh, right talents. Um, I, I So like after I learned how to do it and got somewhat good at doing it, then I just stopped doing it. And so, but I don't know. There are people who cannot do. Yeah. The same way I cannot conceive of working for one company for 20 years 
to get that pension, which they right. don't have the pension. Pensions aren't yeah, even a they, thing anymore. But yeah. yeah, but um, there are some people who could not conceive risking uh, the daily job for something like that. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, I had. St- I had started my own business uh, fixing printers, and I had to have a website, and I knew a fair amount about online marketing. So I built the website, and I used these certain techniques to get the website traffic, and it worked really well. And I I thought, I wonder if that would work for any other uh, industry. So Mm -hmm. I started another website for repairing washers and dryers. Oh, uh uh-huh. And just to see what would happen. And within a month, I'm getting calls from people who wanted their washer and dryer fixed. But could you do that? Well, I could. So I I went to a couple places and did it. But it, you can't charge as much money. So I didn't want to keep doing that. Oh. But I knew I knew another guy who did do it. Uh-huh. So and he was good at it. To him? Well, I wanted to. I said, I'll tell you what. Either I said, I'll get you the calls. You run them. Uh, you tell me how much you want. That's how much I'll pay you per call. Um, or actually, I'll just let you actually run the website and, and run the business, and you give me say ten percent of every call that comes out of this website. Um, he he didn't want to do interested. it. <laughs> right. Uh, and he liked working on washers and dryers, mm-hmm. but he had lost his job and he was stuck at Amazon like I was. Oh, is that where you but, met him? Yeah. The idea of doing that on your own and being on your own and not being able to fall back on something like saying, well, I don't know what, you know, I, when you make a mistake, when you're on your own, you have to answer. Yeah. Yeah. If you're yeah, at a company, your boss has to af- answer for it. Right. And so that's a little scary, especially if your job is to fix things. You end up making it worse and you end up having to, you know, you, you broke something right. else. And so now you've got to come up with, with $350. Yeah, fix it or pay for it or something. Right. But some people cannot do that, and I think that's primarily the reason he didn't want to do that. And and so it, I couldn't even understand why he wouldn't want to do it. And I guess there are people who look at me and aren't able to understand why why would I go work yeah. on my own instead of having a, a stable job to pay me every week on time the exact same amount. Right. Why would you give that up? That's right. the, uh, how a lot of people would see that. So I, I bring that up because it, there's all kinds of, I'm not dissing those factory jobs or the uh, the hard labor or the mundane data entry jobs. Right, um, right. Well, you know, the other thing is to realize that there's so, there's such a degree of interconnectedness in jobs in the world today but it, it even if it, even without it being in the whole world just within a community within a country or whatever but i th- i think somebody did a um i i i forget what the first one was one was a pencil and one was a cup of tea or something like that but they went through the kind of the explanations of all of the aspects of the different things that had to happen, let's say, in order for that pencil to come together. So you've got okay. the trees, the harvesting of the wood, the cutting of the wood. You've got the graphite and and the mining of that and the sale of that and then the manufacturer and, and then the paint for the pencil and where that comes from and the eraser and, and all of the different 
kinds of jobs that seem completely unrelated to each other. And each one is a major industry, and yet they all have to be there just to produce a simple pencil. Right. And everybody in that, you know, that given industry or operation from the boss at the top who's making decisions to the guy on a factory who's sweeping the floor is part of that. Yeah. And if I think that if somebody, you know, it's one thing to feel that every day you dread going in because you hate your job and you just feel like you've got these these talent impulses that that are just so unfulfilled that that you just kind of feel like you're going to explode and it you just feel oppressed by the job and that could be an indication that you really need to to start looking for a different job but if you're if you're ever I think if people are tempted to feel that my job doesn't mean anything well that's a perspective thing I think every job means something otherwise you wouldn't and, be paid to do it right exactly and so kind of having that global sense of interconnectedness of work and labor and how all of it supports the civilization that that we live in is important for people they that's even those who have a fulfilling job say talent wise can have a feeling of but it doesn't really mean anything if they don't have that sense of interconnectedness to kind of go along with it right i mean um you know i'm i don't fix heart monitoring machines and nobody's gonna die if I don't get there in time to fix this uh, machine or that machine. but And if I take that attitude, I'm going to do shoddy work. But if I look mm-hmm. at the fact that um, this machine, it takes two people to run it. And after it's run, whatever it produces gives a job to, say, five more people. And those people are all without work until I get there to fix the machine. Um, you begin to appreciate more why it's important to get there and get it done and do a good job of it. Mm-hmm. And every job has that with it. Right. It's one of the, another reason you might not appreciate whatever job is that you have is because you're not putting your heart into it. And sometimes it is hard to put your heart into something mundane. At the same time, we are required as Christians to do that. To yeah. try to do a better job than we were before and to const- and to strive to do better at whatever it is we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. St. Paul says, never tire of doing what is right. He warns against that, that sense of being dissatisfied with the work you have. So if I, if I you know, if I'm at a warehouse and I'm uh, picking and, um, you know, I, I'm picking crap that I think this is garbage. People are buying it and I have to fill this order. Um, and it, it kind of leaves you feeling empty because I'm basically part of a company peddling garbage, uh, which is often how I felt while I was at Amazon. You know, these right. $5 items that uh, should never have been invented, should never have been made because they're right. going to be used once and then thrown away. Yeah. At the same time, uh, somebody made that thing. And it went into this warehouse, and now there's a bunch of people employed here, people who are able to eat and have homes because of this employer, Amazon. Mm -hmm. And if nothing else, I can say 
take my numbers up above productivity or uh, above expectation and do a good job of picking, even though it doesn't take a whole lot of talent to pick. It does take work. It does take effort. And if I give it that, at least I've put something into the job. Right. Right. And generally, the more you put into jobs, the more you get out of it. So I put as much of myself as I can into the job. And as you said, aside from that, there are relationships in jobs and they do mean a lot. Mm-hmm. And if you come in with a sour face and you come People in, don't want to. yeah, nobody wants to work with someone <laughs> who does nothing, do but it, you have, uh, excuse my language, you have bitch sessions with oh, your coworkers right. mm-hmm. and it's fun to do that. But if that's all you do, then you're just a pessimist and you bring everyone down Instead mm-hmm. of making those sessions fun and something to laugh at. Right, right. That's my take on that. Yeah, I think that's a proper one. That's a good one. I think, so, uh, yeah, I think that's all I got. Yeah, well, you know, rounding up, um, we are meant to work, and different people are called to work in different ways, but one of the fundamental aspects of work is being part of creating things and being part of can be on the front line of creation or it can just be serving a role within a broader company context. All of it is noble and dignified. And in terms of personal fulfillment, you know, God gave each one of us certain talents and certain drives to use that talent. And if we find that we really, really dread work, it could be that we haven't found the job that gives us, gives the appropriate outlet to those drives that God gave us so that we're not fully glorifying God in our work. And and ultimately, that should be the goal of everything, is glorifying God. That's a good way to sum everything up. So how about some current events? Okay. Uh, I, I'm pretty excited about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, SpaceX sent their unmanned spacecraft Dragon, successfully docked with the... Uh, International Space Station. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the first privately owned spacecraft to dock with International dock with space, space Station. That's right. I, I think it might be the first unmanned spacecraft. And I think this is the uh, first spacecraft that is built for carrying loads to and from the space station, other than men. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, it, it will hold a lot of cargo where most... Uh, most spacecraft will not hold a lot of cargo on their return to the Earth. Yeah, yeah. This I, is I, this is very exciting stuff. I I'm not quite with Elon Musk where I actually think people are going to live on Mars. I don't think that's ever going to. I don't think people are ever going to live in outer space. But yeah. I I do find this stuff exciting. I don't know. We could we could we could end up populating Mars, but uh, we'd have yeah, to find that's... a way to get an atmosphere. It's got no atmosphere. Yeah, I know you'd, you'd. It would have to be. It would have to be in a bubble that that held an atmosphere in. I, I, I don't think we're ever going to terraform terraform Mars or anything like that. Right. I. Well, I, I. It could be a a permanent. I uh, think. The, I think it's important. I, I think the space technology is important because I think it's better for us to find out how to get out of the solar system because I personally believe there are inhabitable planets outside of our solar but we're at that magic spot with the sun yeah and no other planet has that so but but there are 
could be other planets out there that have it and uh we're not going to get there unless we do all this other stuff first Mm -hmm. so so do you think you think that that we're gonna as a as a um i'm kind of gonna move into a sort of eschatological um question here do do you think we're going to be around and i'm talking about the predicted end of the world by jesus and stuff like that do you think that's far enough off and that we're going to be around long enough to, as a human race, inhabit multiple solar systems? I, feel I, think, we're I talking think we will. Tens of, I, I, I got to think tens we're talking of thousands. about thousands of years beyond now for that to happen. See, I, I, Maybe okay, more. if you think about a hundred years ago and the thought of actually getting into outer space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1919, 1920. Okay, look at the computer age. Uh, I guess, when, when would you say that started? The 70s, maybe? Well, depends on what you mean by started. I mean, it... I guess I guess we would we would look some at... Some semblance um, of computers, even back during World War II a little bit, but... Right, yeah, with okay, the punch let's say, cards let's say and really stuff. really coming into its own, uh, starting to think in terms of smaller computers, 70s... Well, I guess with the invention of the chips, uh, the... The integrated circuits, yeah. right? I when that started, and we realized we could do this within a very short amount of time. We took the technology and turn and, and made thousands of uses for it, and made it better and better and better with a very very short amount of time. Yeah, that's true. That's true. The, what's lacking now is any kind of uh, technology that will allow long distance space travel once yep. that's found it's going to be like a like a dam that bursts mm-hmm. and i think if we find something new i i i think you're looking at a hundred years after that of visiting other solar systems yeah that'll be tough because you know to to visit other solar systems and have it meaningful to to you know to people here on earth that's because when you look at concepts for space travel right now, you've basically got two options. You've got uh, some kind of, you know, cryo-based, yeah. you know, suspended animation sort of approach where you go to sleep and then thousands of years later you wake up in another part of the galaxy. Which uh, doesn't other... do good for anyone outside of the ones making the trip. <laughs> the people that sent you may be long... No, I mean, not, not as individuals not as a generation but the people who sent you as a race may be long gone by then i mean who knows the earth might have been destroyed by some weird thing by then so that's it's kind of even scary to think of that um right but the other uh thing that people think of in terms of is building a spaceship big enough to host a a society of people that would continue to you know, be a community and and marry and have children and raise children and and go through generations while they're traveling, which itself is kind of scary because I, I mean, I think you're yeah. looking at the same problem. Then the people who sent you are not in any way going to be able to f- benefit from sending you, so there's no point in sending anyone. Well. There's not only that, but I mean, I could see a point like, you know, like just in terms of, of seeding humankind in other parts of the galaxy and so on and so forth. Uh, all right, I can, I can kind of get that. But, but it creates this problem where even today, you know, a lot of liberal nut jobs out there call, talk about overpopulation, that, the, that we're at the extent of population that the Earth can support. Well, we aren't anywhere near 
but try to put everybody onto a spaceship that we would be capable of building, and that spaceship's going to be small enough that overpopulation would end up being a real problem. And so now you have to enact rules and laws on that spaceship that, from our Catholic point of view, and this is a podcast about Catholic things, would violate the dignity of man. Things like limiting how many children you might have or stuff like that. So yeah, I never thought of I that. I can see real problems with both models of that that we can think right now about space travel. So I think you're right. In order to enable extrasolar system travel for humans, some whole new mechanism has to be discovered. Right. Some new, some new set of laws in the universe or something that that allows travel at at speeds or you know displacement in distances that are just vastly different than our modern concepts but who knows they may they may develop you know i don't think we even either that exists or it doesn't if it does exist then we'll eventually figure it out if it doesn't exist um well then this is well okay this this is is what we have and we'll be happy with (laughs) mankind's home that's right that's right. But I think God gave us a desire to search explore. and explore and discover. Yeah. And right. there's a whole universe out there for us to discover. Right now we do it from afar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff. Right. I, I would think the same way they uh, would look out to sea and discover that and go explore it. Um, mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's there for us to discover and explore and it was part of the whole plan yeah that could very well be or i'm and wrong and yeah, uh that's uh, you know maybe <laughs> in a thousand years jesus will come back and it'll be like all right it's over let's let's all go to heaven or hell and yep whatever okay uh let's see hold on oh okay so the new attorney general william barr mm-hmm uh, he has announced he will not do what Sessions has done and recuse himself from the uh, investigation. Oh. So uh, he had been advised to recuse himself. He said, no, I'm not going to recuse him myself. So uh, I think that's good. Uh, maybe he'll rein it in. But I think we can. I, I think it's kind of over anyway, the special investigation or special yeah council's investigation but the fact is this is all set up so that they can try to impeach trump and that's the end they're working towards anyway so uh i don't know if it matters it's yeah yeah it's been an abject failure we'll see what happens I, i i i think i think anyone with just an inkling of goodness in them needs to pray for our president and for the people around him uh for him to be successful mm-hmm. at yeah. least in the in the uh, uh in the goals that he's told us about and seems to be working right right uh speaking of trump uh so okay the new yorker is reporting that fox news owner uh murdoch had a story about trump paying off stormy daniels in 2016 and did not release it because he wanted Trump to win. Okay. I don't know why that's a story. Yeah, he's a news Why guy. would the New Yorker report that? I mean, why, you know, if, did they if know we th- learned if we learned that CNN had information um, that was damaging to Hillary Clinton in 2016 and they didn't release it, we wouldn't be surprised. It wouldn't be a story. It would be, well, yeah, of course. Right. 
we, you know, as a matter of fact, I think exactly most of us assume that that is the case. That that yeah, probably that's and and it's uh, other than pointing to uh, yeah, see how liberal they are. Um, yeah, it it it's not something that we would say that somehow they're you know incredibly wrongdoing. The the wrongdoing isn't the you know it's just a news organization. They pick what they publish. Right. They're not any under any obligation. The, it's not like the church or you know, something. Right. <laughs> exactly. They don't take some kind of oath of office that says, I'm going to print all the news I know about or, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so, yep. That's I think a, uh, sometimes uh, the, the weird thing is that I think news organizations think of their profession as more noble than it really is. Yeah, they like to think of themselves as some kind of... Um, but you know what's interesting is that that for a while they were going into that direction of thinking of themselves as these kind of cold hard the news is the news wherever the chips fall and we report the news uh, without uh, bias or prejudice and it's kind of weird because ever since Trump got elected and even before that I would I would say since uh, uh, since the younger Bush had gotten elected um the news has been in an increasingly open state of hey we have a social responsibility not just to report the news but to report the news in a way that's going to make people think and feel the way we think they ought to think and feel yeah and it's not just about the news and where you know report it wherever the chips fall it's about trying to affect the correct kind of social change and that's become what the news is and so you see this now that Trump's in office and they've kind of abandoned as you know the media as a class of profession has not only abandoned that sense of objectivity yeah they've now gotten to where they've abandoned a sense of professionalism and are kind of going weird crazy yeah you know to the point of making up stories and stuff or taking stories that have reasonably sufficient um taking up stories for which there may be reason to suspect that they were made up and then reporting them as though they're real stories yeah you know there's you almost get embarrassed for them exactly exactly i mean it's pretty bad when yeah when, when you feel embarrassed for the likes of cnn or the new york times um okay do you know about thunderbolt 3 know about who thunderbolt 3 thunderbolt free no okay so intel has this uh new um communication i guess it's a communication port kind of like usb uh they call it thunderbolt 3 and oh uh, thunderbolt 3 i thought you said free t-h-r-e-e yeah Um, got it and they are uh making that open and royalty free open source and royalty free uh hoping i guess to uh get it more widely used okay so it's a hardware interface i think this is supposed to more or less compete with usb4 okay they were developed it in collaboration with apple i did not know that oh there is a thunderbolt one and two of course use the same connector as the mini display port which is that odd little not quite usb thing on the side of some laptop computers that people may have seen yeah but nobody uses but i guess uh i guess they're hoping for it to move from usb to thunderbolt 
Ah, uh, um, okay. Which, I, I don't know. I, I guess most people wouldn't find this interesting, but it, it's... To me, I look at it and I see the same, you know, like VHS versus beta or uh, what was the uh, mm-hmm. the other the other one besides Blu-ray? What, what was it? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, uh, the, uh, the the DVD standard. No, the um... right after DVDs. There After was DVD, Blu-ray H, and... H like like H H DVD or something like that. High definition. Yeah, DVD. it was something like that. Yeah. The, so the, the, the one the one that that didn't make it that nobody can remember the name of. right <laughs> so you gotta wonder is it gonna be thunderbolt 3 or usb 4 uh, okay right right i like usb 4 because everything is usb is usb 4 back backwards compatible with uh, I, I would assume so maybe i'm just making too much of an assumption there but they're USB talking about 40 40 gigabyte gigabytes per second transfer rate i mean that's that's a lot yeah yeah so I don't know. Uh, I, I it's not that big a news. It's just kind of interesting. Is no, it is interesting. Up. But you know, it's it's. Uh... Now here's something. Uh, we may have found a way to cure HIV. Cure, not just treat. Well, there was an HIV positive man, and I think he's from London, and he is now not. Now he's HIV negative after a bone narrow bone marrow transplant from an HIV resistant donor. Oh, so there are people who are HIV resistant. I didn't even know that. Right. So if we could get like some kind of a, some stem cells, uh, that could be regenerated and used to generate that, that maybe could be used to be injected to generate HIV resistant bone marrow inside the patient. Right. Huh. That's so, cool. yeah. Uh, let's see. Speaking of diseases, Alex Trebek has yes. uh, stage four cancer. Yeah, he's gonna keep he's gonna keep uh, filming though as mm-hmm. he's taking his uh, stuff. Is he? Okay. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, also, the Jesse Smollett uh, sixteen felony accounts against oh, him. So they they did uh, they indicted him. Indict him. Yeah. Okay, well, he needed it. Uh, that's all I got. You know, that that just reminded me, I was thinking about that earlier. In a podcast in a podcast that is, oh, I don't know how many ago that we did, we talked a little bit about racism, and we made the comment that as a force, racism isn't really a problem in American society. It's, you find it in, in certain individuals, you find it in a couple of organizations, the most notable being Planned Parenthood, but it's not really one of those systemic problems in our society. I think the the Smollett case kind of highlights that, the the fact that people need to go out and stage what they want to call hate crimes these days. You know, it's it's like, well, not enough is happening to, to, to let me, you know, give me my platform to speak out against a problem. Let me go, let me go create the problem. Well, you only need to do that if the problem isn't there already. Yeah, I, I, so. I think it's time for our society to understand that it's not a problem mm-hmm. and to react yeah. appropriately. To, to stop pretending that, yeah, exactly. That's, you know, move on. You know, we, let's let's work together to solve some We've got a lot of other problems. Let's solve some of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instead of, uh, but I think it's one of those things where um, 
You know, you talked about uh, last week uh, sentimentalism, and I think that's what it is. If I think there are people who do a lot of bad things, but feel like feel like they're somehow they feel good about themselves because they're not a racist. Oh, yeah. And they think about the fact that they're not a racist and marvel at their own morality. I, yeah, it, it, it's like, really, that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't kick puppies. I'm I'm fine. I'm a good person. Like, I, you know, I am... I might go have abortions, but I don't kick puppies, so I'm okay. And yeah. I think it's part of the I'm okay, you're okay mentality that... That really keeps racism as an issue. That because mm-hmm. it doesn't need to be. There's nobody. Nobody's racist. Yeah, yeah. That's if 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 we can if I can keep racism out there, then that means I get to be. I get to feel good about myself. It'll not just feel good about myself, but kind of publicly feel good about myself in front of everybody. Hey, you know, I am such a decent guy. I'm I'm very sensitive about racism. And, I, yeah, and, I have a you know I have a best friend who's black and uh, yeah, you or know, I have black the, kids or grandkids or whatever. It's just the, the non-racist uh, credential or whatever. That yeah, that's I think that's a good point. It it allows people to to have that that feel good about themselves and publicly state that they feel good about themselves because they're not racist well you know so is practically nobody else right uh, you know i i, I just even I, really bad guys are not I, racist I, often it, it's kind of funny that you bring this up because this kind of plays right into i i uh, i mean you know i just got back uh from a cruise a few weeks ago and yeah yeah on the bus ride, here's the thing. On the bus ride back from the cruise itself, uh, we got back into the harbor on the ship and then taking a bus back to the airport. And the shuttle driver is this this black guy. And he starts, the, you know, the, these shuttle drivers, they always talk while they're driving. The one guy on, on the way to the ship from the plane, he's pointing out the different things and, and, you know, kind of joking about it and some, you know, different stuff like that. Um, and he's you know kind of funny uh we went through a, a pretty long tunnel in miami and and he said hey you know who dug this tunnel el chapo you know so you know just joking stuff like that and and having fun with everybody well this other guy this black guy is like he starts out this hey you know i'm looking at my mirror i only see one race the human race you know and then he starts going on and on about this this like like sermonizing us about about racism and and stuff like that and it's like you know what are you doing i make I everyone uncomfortable a, here i guess i didn't even give him a tip because you know i felt like he's he's kind of you know it's like he felt the need somehow to give us a sermon and i'm sure that nobody on that bus needed that sermon and yet he felt like he had a need to give people that sermon well i think it plays in exactly to, to what you're saying it, you know it's kind of become the thing that if you could stand up and be non-racist loud enough, it allows you to be all kinds of immoral and yet still feel good about yourself. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. Okay. Well, I got some news from the Nation of Nonsense here. Uh, one of these, it's it's kind of funny. It's kind of cute in a way, though. So uh, down in Florida, a guy locked his keys in his car and locked his baby in with him. This is over uh, Valentine's Day. Okay. And it turned out that there were some 
inmates nearby who were helping do do some repairs on the parking lot. You know how the, the inmates that are nonviolent, they'll take them out and do work programs and that kind of stuff with them. Yeah. So they were nearby, you know, working on the parking lot. So the police brought them over and had them use their skills <laughs> that, pro- you know, potentially landed them in jail to begin with to help the guy get the car open get, and get the get baby the out. They somebody brought unlocked. a coat hanger. Yep, they brought a co- coat hanger over and they used it to unlock the car door. You know, I was afraid to do that once because I thought I'd... I, I was at work and somebody locked her and I'm like, oh, I can get that out. And then I mm-hmm. thought, well, maybe I shouldn't know how to get that door open. <laughs> yeah, it's like, wait a minute. How do you know how to do that? <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, they got the baby out and everything. They got the baby out. Everything's good. Uh, you know, people are, you know, laughing about it and stuff. The inmates, uh, they still had to go back to jail. Um, oh, well, they should have uh, they, commuted they, they their feel... sentence or something. <laughs> a little bit, uh, you know. But, you know, they got to uh, interrupt their labor a little bit. And, uh, I think I'm going to start linking to these stories from the posts. Uh, oh, okay. From, That's a good on, idea. on your show, from the nonsense bill. Mm-hmm. But, sure, um, sure. you know, that reminds me of this. It was so weird because you're talking about inmates and these criminals doing some, you know, act of kindness or whatever. And they, mm-hmm. You go to uh, Cleves where I used to live. Yeah. I guess most of the people there are, uh, I think most of them are on welfare, but uh-huh. or they get some kind of check. And it, it's just a bunch of... I guess the best way to say it would be white trash. Um, but there was a car wreck in front of my house. Oh, and wow. Um, all these hillbillies come out, and, like, only half of them had shirts. But, uh, you know, we're walking towards the car, and it's actually an SUV, and it flipped over. Ooh, man. So we're walking towards this flipped-over SUV, and uh, everybody's going to say, I, I don't know, I guess see what needs to be done and stuff. And yeah. one of them says, hey, there's a gas leaking. So, like, all of us realize we shouldn't go near it because it could explode. So yeah. everybody starts backing up. And um, and then the I guess it just kind of clicked in my head. Okay, there's gas leaking. It's an SUV flipped over. Which means there's someone still inside. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So that's right. Um, I was, I kind of had on my, t- I, I was saying, but isn't there someone? And then one of these hillbillies said, "Hey, there's someone inside there." Then, and yeah. I mean, there's like twenty of them. They all mm-hmm. bum rushed that SUV. Well, as soon as they knew and, there was someone inside, right? It's like, and they all, the, got, I mean. These are not the kind of people you would think of as heroic. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. But they they did. They they all ran to that SUV knowing that there's a gas leak and uh, pulling. I, there was a guy and his little girl in there. Uh, mm, they got wow. them out. And then they got yep. yelled at by the ambulance driver for moving people after a wreck. But, uh, but I don't know. It was a gas it, leak. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it just kind of reminded me of that. <laughs> well, but, you know, that's a good point because uh, <laughs> replace that crowd of hillbillies with, uh, I don't know, Harvard College grads. Right. <laughs> Country club 
uh, members uh, types, you know? <laughs> right. Would you get the same response? I don't think you'd get the same I kind of don't think so. <laughs> uh, these guys were, uh, they were bare bones heroes in my book, so. Yep, yep. Even though the car didn't explode. But, no, but uh, in their mind it could, which was the urgency for getting the people out. Which is why I was backing up. I did start moving <laughs> forward, but these Once, guys all yeah. beat me to the car, so I didn't have to yeah. do anything. I could stay back. Okay. Well, I've got a millionaire uh, in uh, Thailand who's offering, I guess in some sense it's not all that strange, he's offering about $300,000 uh, for whoever marries his daughter. Now, I say it's not that strange because even here in the West, through different times, there have been traditions of dowries. Hold on, that... send me a link to that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why does he have to pay? Why does he's he have not, he to, doesn't pay have to pay that pay. much he's money? Offering. He's offering. Oh, he's just offering. He's so the the but but the, I think it's a little bit different. But because you know, even in in the West here, uh, various times and places of our civilization, we've had traditions of dowries that go along with the bride as she enters into marriage. And uh, you might remember the the move, the John Wayne movie, The Quiet Man, that was about the dowry that um, yeah, you know, Harris character had and so forth so anyway um so he's putting up a dowry of uh about 314 it it translates to 314,000 american it's actually 10 million baht which is a b-a-h-t i think i'm saying it right which is must be the currency they have there yeah and he's got this 26 year old daughter uh she works for the family business and he's looking for somebody to marry her and take over the family business now she must part. be really mean or something. Uh, she must be. I don't know. But, but she doesn't look all that part. bad. She doesn't. No, no. Uh, he's he's he asked. Okay, well, what are the qualities that he'd like to see in the man that marries his daughter? Okay, and so I'm reading this part, and I'm thinking, okay, he's going to talk about uh, kindness and you know maybe some things like that. No, instead it's. I want someone to take care of my business and make it last. I don't want a person with a bachelor's or master's or philosopher's degree. I want a diligent man. I want someone with a hard-working attitude. That's all. You think I should go for it? <laughs> I'd have to get divorced first. You'd have to get divorced first. <laughs> Maybe he uh, wouldn't course, like that. If once, you can't once make a family um, last. Well, you'd probably have to, to move to um, Taiwan and once you're on, or Thailand rather, and once you're on board, um, he would hand over his, um, the rest of his business to you. Uh, the daughter. Yeah, I could uh, do that. Karnsita, she speaks English and Chinese. Karnsita, that almost sounds like a. You can't even say it. It's K A R N S I T A. That's just the American English. spelling for it. Well, I, I know mean, it's the American spelling, but the thing when you when you say it the way it looks like it's spelled, it sounds more like a Latino name or a Latina name yeah. than, than a Chinese. But anyway, yeah. um, says she's excited about her dad's public offer, even though he was she was confused at first. Um, <laughs> I was just thinking he's, he's looking for someone to marry his daughter but he doesn't care anything about marriage qualifications all he cares about are the qualifications to carry on his business <laughs> she might be really mean hard to live with she some women be, are like I that I don't know uh, you know, and she's—you know—maybe she's going to be the real boss of the business, and that's what he's not telling you. You think about some women that you know, and I would not marry some women for three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, no, I agree. 
and with the business. <laughs> I just wouldn't do it. The business too. Yeah. No, I, I, it, but like you, you know, she might be mean, and and no matter who actually ends up marrying her, it might be really her that runs the business, not him. It yeah. could be. He, he just needs a a male figurehead for her to be able to take over the business because I don't know maybe women can't run businesses in Thailand or something I don't know right because if they could why wouldn't he just hand it over to her you know right why does he well uh, because if she's not going to reproduce then oh, there's then no there's one to no hand it down child or whatever that's you true. have to keep that's going true. you have to keep it alive he, he wants to leave a family he has a legacy, legacy. yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Okay, so anybody out there who's interested in moving to Thailand and um, marrying this uh, this young girl, she's 26 years old, um, you can inherit a business and, and just... And $300,000. So $300,000. Um, just full disclosure, the business appears to be farming um, durians, a fruit that are so stinky that some places have banned them. Wow. <laughs> Maybe that's why... Yeah. He has to offer the money. Okay. So moving on. Uh, The town of Fairhaven, Vermont has a goat for a mare. Actually, yeah. (laughs) We know a little bit about goats. Yeah. (laughs) Let me see this goat. Hold on. Yeah, she's a Nubian. A Nubian named Lincoln. Or maybe it's a, uh, he is a Nubian named Lincoln. That's not a full-bred Nubian. No. No, no, not full-blood. Um, but, That's... uh, got some, it kind of looks like a, I think it's got some floppy. Toggenberg in it. Yeah. The ears aren't floppy enough to be full blood Nubian. Right. We, uh, uh we live right old. in the city. We had goats when we were, uh, kids. Grandpa got, or my dad got goats when we were kids. So we raised goats even though we lived in the city. Right. So, uh, Lincoln beat out. Uh, 15 other animals on the ballot and oh it was a it was like a race between animals yeah including a dog and a cat and a gerbil and the goat won and the goat won how Mm -hmm. about that that's right did you ever Uh, see those fainting goats those what fainting goats yeah no there's a there's a goat that whenever it gets nervous it faints if you startle it it'll just fall over it just faints Okay. Yeah, is, and is then that... a couple minutes later, it'll get up and start walking around again. That, that must be like some kind of like predator defense against predators who will only attack live goats. I they guess so. It seems like not a good... Well, I guess there's possum. Yeah, possums you know, play possum. dead in order to keep other animals from chasing them. As, you know, it actually animals, works. Some animals won't eat a dead animal. They, they have to chase it down themselves. And some animals some just want to kill it. Uh, but it works. I've seen it work. Um, I, I went on my back porch and there was a possum there. And I mm-hmm. I thoroughly hate possums. I think that's the yeah, ugliest animal They're ever disgusting. created. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a dog uh, and I um, called the dog over and let her outside. And it took her like five minutes to see the thing. Finally, she saw it and let out after it. And... In the, it got to like the middle of the yard and just stopped and fell over. And huh. she came over and she sniffed it and then just walked away. Gave up. Huh. I, th- I think they actually put a scent out that makes them that smell dead, dead too. Because oh. uh, I thought I was really mad. <laughs> that he didn't just kill it? Right. Because I didn't want to have to kill it myself. Because <laughs> Yeah. But I I don't want possums digging through my garbage. So I did end up having yeah. to kill it. Made it easy on me because I didn't have to chase it, but uh, yeah, it works. So oh. maybe 
Uh, uh, fainting goats. Fainting goats give out a smell like that too. When they what fight. kind of things chase goats and eat them? Oh, mountain lions. The Tyrannosaurus Rex. Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> no, those the lions. Certain kinds of lions, though, um, and panthers. Is, I don't know if you've seen that. I mean, they'll they'll take a goat or a goat-sized animal um, in its mouth and climb up a tree with it. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, you know that's like um, evolution that that would have taken place since we've uh, domesticated them. Oh, mm-hmm. you know? Well, yeah. I guess I guess you don't hear about them in the wild. They're only in they're only domestic animal. Who goats? Goats that faint. Oh, the fainting goats. That's a, there are no that's wild weird. fainting goats. That's weird. There's only domestic goats, so it would I, have I happened. Realize, I've never heard of fainting goats, but that is extra Look weird. it up, and you'll you'll find videos of them. Huh. Huh. Oh, well. Oh, I, well. I like goats. I'm going to get so, goats again. Well, okay. And maybe uh, maybe one day yours will be mayor. So this right. goat is a mayor. The town, uh, They I guess they elect an animal every year to be mayor. Um, it's an honorary title. Uh, whose responsibilities include attending local and major events, including the Memorial Day Parade, and uh, the town is actually run by a town manager. So they don't have an actual mayor? They just... They have an well, animal, they do have mayor. which, which okay. is an animal. Yeah. But okay. all the decisions are made by the town manager. It's like making decisions. fun of politics. <laughs> yeah, making think, fun of politicians. I think, yeah, there may be a little bit of a, uh, a, a, a message in there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a good idea, actually. <laughs> yeah. Let's have that's, a, what, uh, that's about what I think of... Uh, goat for mayor. <laughs> mayors. That's right. Yeah, you know, mayors, I, I mean, I, okay, I, I'm sure that they do good work in many cities, but it just seems to me that, that somehow my impressions of mayors has, has become associated with um, petty tyranny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't say that I'm, well, I, I'm going to shut up. <clears throat> I'm not going to talk about the Cincinnati right. mayor. Uh, Yeah, yeah, better not. Okay, so that's that, that's all I've got. That's all we got. All right. Um, thanks for okay, joining so, everyone. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Think about what we said, and we'll see you next week on a podcast about Catholic things. Uh, remember, remember, circle, circle the beads. beads. Yeah. All right, guys. Bye.